Hey, good morning from me, everybody. Um, happy non-mask day. Hope you're enjoying it. Um, there's one other announcement about the Ukraine. Sorry, I forgot to uh, add it. On Monday at 7.30 in the Mercury, Mercury Hotel in Flanedin. Mercury? Mercury? You know, you're nodding, right? Um, half seven. There's loads of churches getting together for a big prayer meeting. And there's a chap speaking who's Romanian and he's a minister and he's talking about all the refugees that they're receiving and who are on the border there. So that's half seven on Monday if you want to join with uh, all the other denominations praying for the situation there. Hey, John, and this one's called Jesus the Monarch on High. Um, why does anything matter? Uh, why do your words, thoughts, and existence matter outside of your own imaginings about them and uh, sort of constructing whether they matter or not? Why do they objectively matter? Why are you valuable? Not because your wife says you are, but just because you are, or your friend thinks you are. Why are you as valuable as anybody else? Why? Why do war crimes matter? Why do we care when we see children and families displaced, hungry and homeless, and their homes being bombed? Why, does, why do we care? Why? Why does sin matter? We're seeing that a lot in ourselves and in the news. Why is it deathly? And why does love matter or exist at all? And who gets to define what it looks like? <laughs> and all of those light-hearted questions we'll now answer in uh, 10 minutes. Well, here we are, John, chapter 1, and the Big Fish team um, uh, have helped do an amazing display for us to get us excited about John's, because I think that all of John can be summed up in John chapter 20, verse 31, which says this, these things in John are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in His name you may have life. It's written that you may believe. So the next few, however long we're going to be in John, it's all written so we can have life in the name of Jesus. Life in Jesus. And because church promotes the name of Jesus, we could say this. Park End Church exists though people, so for people around here might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that we may have life in His name. So everything we do is about these shiny letters here that the children have done. It's really important. And the house groups have been looking at John and loving it. And if you haven't joined the house group yet, let us know. Um, and you'll be in John there as well. I, of course, and we should all approach John's gospel with humility and a bit of fear and trepidation because the New Testament's full of like these topics and ideas which are quite hard to grasp compared to the simple works of Moses that we've been looking at in, in Exodus. And literally Jesus says that, doesn't he, in John chapter 5. Listen to this. If you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But you don't believe what he wrote, so how are you going to believe anything that I say? Like Jesus literally says, the Old Testament shines light on this tricky book of John. But thankfully in Park End, we've done Exodus. I wanted to do Leviticus next as well, but that, that's coming. But, but because we've done Exodus, we're going to enjoy what Jesus says about himself. Terms like the logic, the word, 
the lamb, the tabernacle, the priest, the prophet, and the king, we're ready in Park End to sort of grasp the wonder of Jesus. John, by the way, um, was an apostle. Got a dad called Zebedee. Don't know if you have, but he did. He had a brother called James, and together uh, they were called the Sons of Thunder. So the stories I've heard about the Williams brothers sometimes get described as the Sons of Thunder. Well, John was a bit like that. And it was written probably after the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem, just before John got kicked onto an island uh, for being a Christian to die alone in Patmos. And this gospel focuses on the last three years of Jesus' life. And we'll just be dipping in and out of the highlights, so to speak. But he opens with a whopper for you listening at home and us here. So that we can all have more life than we've got. And he opens with a few verses. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life. And uh, what a whopper. He's got um, Moses in front of him when he wrote his gospel. How do we know that? Because he basically writes Genesis 1 pretty much word for word to help us grasp who Jesus is. Um, John wants us to grasp this morning that we are worshipping a monarch on high. That's who we've come before this morning. And he, ta- he pinches Moses Uh, from Genesis 1. And if you're prone to sink and you've come today and you're like, oh, and I just need a word of hope. Now, this one's a good one for you. Uh, My friend said a few years ago, oh, and for Lent, I'm giving up. (laughs) For Lent, I'm not giving something. I'm giving up. They need to hear about this monarch on high. Or if you're prone, like me, to be led astray by other little glories, Little gods and idols, golf, sport, job, fashion, or youth, whatever it is, John is like, right. First three verses, I'm going big. And he borrows from Moses, and here's Moses in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. And here's John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here's Moses in Genesis 1, and God created. And here's John, through God all things were created. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then John gives us a whopper in verse 14. Oh, and that God has been made flesh. He's here. And now he looks like you and me forever. And just this morning, I don't want to skip that word in the beginning. Well, that's not one word, is it? That's three words. In the beginning. And we've touched on these three words in our Thursday class a bit. They're really important for everyone listening. In the beginning, God created. Or in the beginning was God. And um, here's a funny thing. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 in the English, it's not very well written. It's almost like a redundant statement. And it goes like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why is that a redundant statement in English? Because it's sort of saying this. At the beginning of time, he created the start of time. Because when else would you create something other than its beginning? Do you understand? In the beginning, God created the heavens. That's like me saying, in the beginning of my trip to Tesco was the start. It's a bit weird. It's not, it's not the best way it could be put. When else are you going to create something other than at its beginning? 
Now, the original uh, like languages, particularly the Greek one, they make us think slightly different, a, a bit bigger than that. Because Westerners today, when we think, oh, um, God created the world, we think when. And everybody has big arguments in church about how old the world and the stars are, and we get all distracted by those. Um, when was it? Let's think about that. But Moses and John and Paul and the writer of Hebrews do something different than try and make us think about when, though those things are important. They don't ask when were things created, but they go somewhere else. They say, where was everything created? Where? And the Greek Old Testament, the very first uh, verse, basically says, the word for beginning is this, NRK. NRK or NRCON. In the RK. That's how it starts. An RK in the Bible means ruler. Ruler. That's why N means in an RK ruler. When you have anarchy and an means without, you've got no rule. It's anarchy. And archon means the ruler. And monarchy is the one ruler or the ruler of one, the queen, the monarch. Okay, you know all of that. You knew that, didn't you? I'm catching up with you. So Moses is less concerned with, oh, it was at this period of time. But who comes? Who was there? From whom does everything come? In the ruler, all things were made. And Paul in Colossians 1 says this. He says the same thing. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. For in Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, the children down there, the people at the back, all things were in Him. In Him. Whether thrones or powers or rulers, all things have been in Him, through Him, and for Him. It's better than when. Let's get obsessed with when. When did the universe begin? Let's fight. Nah. Church today is called to realize something bigger than that. There's a monarch on high. A very big Jesus on high. From whom you come. Why are we alive? Who am I? Why am I lacking something? I'll come to church and have a fight about when the world was made. No. Come to church and learn about the person from whom you come. That John is just beginning with. Here's Hebrews chapter 1. In the last days, the Lord God spoke through His Son, who He appointed heir of all things, through whom He made the universe, and by whom He sustains all things. That's why Moses started with those three pieces of furniture representing the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And from there, all the cosmos comes and the stars and you. From there. And ladies and gentlemen, there was a day where Christians were so obsessed with Christ and His world and realizing that all things fit together in Him, they would die for Him. And in fact, they got a nickname in the New Testament for being so obsessed with Jesus. And they were called Christians. 
those people obsessed not with fighting over dates, but with the monarch on high. And I think church should be a place where people come and see that we really do believe in a monarch on high and we come from him and we're for him. And I love questions like this. Why did the Lord design daffodils? Church should be the place where we think about those types of things. Not really depressing subjects. What is the meaning of a daffodil if all things come from Jesus? We should be thinking about that in our lunchtime break with smiles on our faces in the staff room. Look at that daffodil leaning towards the sun, the giant picture of Jesus in the sky to get its life from. Why does it do that? Oh, I know there's chemicals and stuff, but why is the daffodil leaning towards the picture of Christ in the sky? That's what we should be doing. See, there was a day where the purpose, symbolism, and theology of trees, oceans, marriage, flowers, planets, and stars, and sleep were all discussed and celebrated in church with a huge vision of Jesus. Why did you practice dying last night and rising again this morning? Great question, isn't it? Hmm, I wonder, why are you getting ready for a big day when you die and rise again and you're practicing it every night? I remember when I became a Christian, I went back to school having been a right rotter beforehand. My brain just became alive as it reconnected with the one from whom the brain comes. My work ethic came back. Working now in God's world, carpet cleaning business by day, Astrid Munnath Sixth Form College by night, trying to catch up about learning the sciences and arts, all tapping into the monarch on high. Here's another great question which John basically probes us with this in the ruler chat. Why is the sky blue? My boys would ask a question like that. And it's like, before secular um, sort of institutions sap the life out of them and give them the chemical process and balance as to why the sky is blue, they're tapping into something massive. Why has the atmosphere designed, been designed to create that shade of blue? Why? And where, why have we lost our wonder? We're so flat. Theology, since the Reformation for all its goodness, has been stripped of Christian art and wonder and iconography and pictures and singing and creativity. And now we're all like sound, but sound asleep. Aren't we? There's something missing this in the archon. We cannot fathom how big John and Moses' Jesus is. A really sad revolution happened throughout the last 500 years. People began to believe the world and the cosmos were just an impersonal clockwork machine without symbolic meaning and richness. And that's filtering in right through us to our family and friends and look at us now. Completely mad in guessing who we are, why we're here. New records of depression and emptiness. It is hard for the modern thinker to come to the th first three verses of John. Not just the first five words, in the arche. 
and really grasp it because we've just been trained to think so flatly, so flatly and depressing. Not like Jesus. No, no. Jesus says we shouldn't be like that. Jesus would pick up a mustard seed and remind everybody what the purpose is. A big reminder of his death and resurrection in John 12. Jesus rebukes a storm and a fig tree for not behaving and doing what they were designed to do. Storm, get in the naughty corner. The storm's like, all right, sorry, I'm off. And the seas were calm again. Jesus tells us that the birds trust instinctively, instinctively in the heavenly Father. And they're preaching that message to us every day. The earth quakes when Jesus dies. One big groan. Their Savior has died. One of the most important meetings in this church is Claire's art class. Yeah, no, it is. It is. I was thinking when I was prepping this week, because art so often captures the why and leaves the mechanics and stuff aside just to see glory in its real place. Trees clapping their hands to Jesus in a picture. Stick that up on the wall around the church. I had a card yesterday from a friend with a flower on it leaning towards the sun. And do you remember in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 33, God gave so much wisdom to Solomon, he understood the meaning of moss. Isn't that a funny one? Oh, moss. Yep, I get it. When you pull the fridge out today, from, and you see what's behind it? You're like, this wall needs Jesus. This wall needs the gospel. It's crying out to me that this world has gone broken somewhere. What's all this dark mold creeping up my walls? Clean it! And that's what Jesus is going to do to the whole cosmos. In the arche, in the ruler. And that's why sometimes we sing with George Wade Robin... Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs all flow. Flowers with deeper beauties shine. Since I know as now I know, I am His and He is mine. Why will your body, mind and soul be fixed when we repent and turn to Jesus? Why? Because we're home. Because he's home for humans. Why is there only death and judgment outside of Jesus? Well, now we know. Because from him is life. And all things good pour from him. Of course it's death outside of Jesus. Why do we grieve when we see children displaced? And families, because they're innately valued. But why? Because they're in the image of him. Made from him and for him and knitted together. That's why. So when trends in culture say this type of people are more important than that type of people. The Christian church goes, no, they're all valuable. However able they are. Whatever they look like. Why does church look after widows and outsiders and sufferers? And we love it because they're precious gifts sent to us from the monarch on high. And so I am with this, with this monarch on high through whom all things come. He's not aloof 
to any of you this morning. In fact, in John's Gospel, he dies for his people to keep them safe. And through this book, in chapter 13, 19, 20, and 21, John says, I am the disciple who Jesus loves. He loves me. This monarch on high, and when they have communion, John leans on Jesus' shoulder because they're that good of friends. I got a friend in Jesus, and he's the best friend, and he's my monarch on high, and he loves me. And I'll close with why it matters. Because not a few years later after this, John gets kicked to an island to die and suffer alone. But all is well. Why? Because he still has Jesus, the monarch on high. Today, many people will face death and suffering, but they can have Jesus, and all will be well. I reread the story of the 19th century missionary this week, John Patton, Scottish missionary. He married a wife. They sailed to the cannibal island of Tanna to spread the gospel. Within one year, his newborn baby had died of the fever. Within that same year, his new wife died and he was alone in Tanna. But he wrote this, Were it not for Jesus, I would have gone mad. And on her deathbed, she didn't resent the Lord God. And she said this, If I could do it all over again, I would. And with more pleasure. Yes, with all of my heart. Because Jesus is so wonderful. That is the cosmic Christ that you serve today and whatever you face tomorrow. Cheap little Jesus, cheap little church. Moses and John's Jesus, all will be well. So what a few weeks we've got coming up. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.